The Accutron Show. Accutron. It's not a timepiece. It's a conversation piece. With your host, Bill McCuddy, and contributors, Scott Alexander and David Graver. I made $200 my first day of modeling. It was like, okay, this is like way better. The voice you heard at the top of the show was today's guest, international supermodel, actress, entrepreneur, author, and TV host. How does she get all that on a business card? It's Carol Alt, here to talk about her incredible career and the evolution of modeling in America. But first up, I'm Bill McCuddy, along with culture writer Scott Alexander and editor David Graver. We're talking about the origin of modeling, where it all started. Is it in a cave somewhere? (laughs) That and more on this episode of The Accutron Show. Stay tuned. All right, boys, we have to be on our best behavior here because we have a supermodel joining us uh, in the latter part of this show. That is super. (laughs) But she uses her supermodel powers for good. She's Carol Alt, uh, and as we heard, she's lovely to listen to. We know uh, a little bit about modeling and where it started. I didn't realize that she was one of the first to, like Farrah Fawcett, have her own poster, her own calendar. Uh, We're going to talk a great deal about the marketing of modeling and uh, how it's changed over the years since the 70s or 80s when she got started, what it's like uh, today. Uh, I got lots of questions. David? Uh, Bill, I'm actually most interested to learn what is the role of the supermodel in the age of the influencer? The internet has changed everything in the way we perceive seduction, sexiness, all of, even selling, the selling of things in advertising. She's more than a supermodel. She is, she's a personality. Scott, do we still have supermodels? Uh, I don't think that we do. I think things are fractured so massively. I mean, what's fascinating to me about the whole supermodel concept was it kind of, there was modeling before supermodels. Exactly what you said, the marketing of modeling Modeling as an idea, modeling as an aspiration for people, that started in the 80s. That's what created supermodels where you're like, oh, th- that could be your job. People just – it just went in their head like, oh, there's this person in the JCPenney catalog or right. this person who shows off the clothes. The mixture of those two things, this sort of mundane nature of the kind of everyday model and the supermodel as avocation kind of has – created a bastard You know, has it come of- full circle in a way? Because it feels to me like for a long time, what you were describing early in modeling, there wasn't a name you could put to a face. And then the Cheryl Teagues and the Carol Alts and the and the people whose names we knew came along. Stephanie Seymour. Stephanie Seymour. Uh, Jill Ireland. Or not Jill Ireland, Kathy Ireland, uh, <laughs> who was never married to uh, Clint Eastwood. Um, I, think, I think now we're back to not really knowing who those names are. We have faces- and some of them are on. Well, when covers. you're 16, you know who those people are. When yeah. you're 13, you think that's true? I mean, you this think- is where the influence happens. The brands know that they need to get people young, and so they are. They've always tried to appeal to the youth, and now social media really presses for all that stuff. Cindy Crawford is definitely one of the most recognizable faces in the whole world. But now brands are reaching out to her children, Kaya Gerber and Presley Gerber, her two two of the most beautiful clones. people. On, it's like literally the, clones. The girls of Brazil, like they're made in a in a test tube, and they like those. Her daughter looks exactly like her. It's like a mini-me. Uh, and and gets- But she's also had the wherewithal to uh, 
boost herself up as an influencer without her being able to navigate that modern landscape of social media and and influence she'd be nowhere i mean she'd just literally be are, just yeah, another yeah. pretty face i think you guys are onto something i think it isn't just about being a model or a supermodel anymore you are an influencer you are on social media you're doing more you're hosting your own little uh, carol has a a television show that she'll tell us about that she does in her living room. But I think these people uh, come up on YouTube on all of these different video outlets, TikTok, and they're, they have to be everywhere or they're nowhere. But I, what I love about what Carol's doing is it actually happens, seems to be of substance. So much of what I see, unfortunately, coming out of these influencers is just vapid. I'm sorry to be an old man. I agree. I totally agree. I don't think she'll ever be a housewife of New York, uh, but uh, and and I'm happy for that. I think that you're right. She does. Uh, we're going to learn about a lot of different charities she works with, and she has always been somebody who gives back. I've known her for a long time, and uh, when I asked her to come in and do this, she said absolutely no problem. She's that kind of reliable person, and I think uh, we're going to learn a little bit about her personal life and uh, what she's doing uh, to promote herself because, let's face it, you know, she's not uh, – I'm not I'm not sure she'll tell us exactly how old she is. I don't want to because, to me, she's kind of ageless. But uh, she's done a very good job of staying relevant year after year after year, and we're going to learn how. I hate to break this to you, Bill, but it's on her Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is on her Wikipedia page. Well, we'll leave it to her to tell us. You're not going to believe the number if you've seen her lately. And I do get this, much to my wife's chagrin, although she realizes it's – part of my job. Carol has some kind of a deal with a shoe company. And every day I get a new little video that uh, shows me trying, she's trying on a different pair of shoes and her cats in some of them. And I mean, you know, that's the other thing. I, there was a mystery surrounding uh, celebrity once upon a time. And now we know everything about everybody. And I wonder if that's good. I wonder if, uh, you know, if Carol had any photographs published when she was starting out of not wearing any makeup or at the beach or with a boyfriend and and what that was like when paparazzi discovered models be, were celebrities as well we'll learn about the pressures of all that uh, a little history lesson uh, on on modeling and uh, how she was discovered. It wasn't at Schwab's drugstore, but it was something very similar to that. I'm also interested in the timeline of the supermodel and how it's evolved over the years and how the you know in the 40s it's and 50s been so many, it was it's the been studios. massive changes. The the, the very look. You know, you go back to the '40s and look what the models look like. You know, these are these are these uh, big, healthy women with, with you right. know childbearing right. hips. Right. And, and then people fast forward forget to how big Marilyn Monroe was. Marilyn Monroe was a 12 or a 14. And you look at those pictures of her, and you have no idea. I mean, it, fast forward to 1995, and you got Kate Moss looking like a 12 year old boy. <laughs> it was the mid '90s where we we fell into the waif the waif syndrome. Uh-huh. Right, but it's like you know who's wearing the clothes? What are the clothes for? How how did fashion change? You know, fashion was a bit more practical, I think, back in the 40s and 50s. They're trying to sell stuff in the Sears catalog. You know, once you get into um, you know Chanel and Givenchy and all these all these things, they're trying to create a completely different image. They're not even always trying to sell clothes. You know, a lot of times it's trying to sell makeup. And so the, the body type, you know, sort of the relevance of that sort of fell away. Also, there was a big – I don't know whether I'll get an argument from her out of this, we'll ask. But I think there was a big defeminization of women at one point in the 80s and early 90s where, uh, you know, everybody wanted to look like uh, Annie Hall, you know, in men's clothes and a tie and a, and a, and a hat. And uh, I just think that uh, it's evolved – 
partially because of the designers and how they're, because let's face it, they hired the models in the first place. Uh, and then has it gone back to a, a romantic era, something that's more feminine? Uh, well, you look at influencers now, though, and the people who are held up as sort of these icons of beauty, and it's a lot of like bikini. It's a lot of cheesecake. It's, it's a lot also of- a lot of youth. There's such youth is put on a pedestal. And something that's very fascinating about Carol is this decade defining, like, She's lasted, she's spanned decades to bring us a new look, a new personality, new attributes. And that's rare. That's no longer really a possibility. Youth burns in an instant. Yeah, but I wonder if with everything going on in this country in terms of uh, creepiness, whether or not the 12 and 13 and 14-year-old girl made to look like 19, 20, or 21, I wonder if that's all completely over. I wonder if you are not... uh, portraying a woman until you are a woman. And we'll ask her about that. I think in, you know, when you see in the 70s and 80s, the rise of these agencies that ended up wielding so much power, and it was really this top-down definition of what beauty was and what fashion was. And now we've got it all bubbling up from the bottom. It's a completely different scenario. What were the attributes that defined the supermodels of the 80s that allow us to still know their names today? I mean, part of it, we know their names because there was a monoculture back then, but then that meant that those definitions were coming from the top down. There was just a few people in New York at these elite agencies, well, maybe at elite, (laughs) uh, (laughs) or Wilhelmina or Ford, uh, but that they were defining what beauty was. uh, And that's how the 13-year-old, 15-year-old girls were dressing in, in middle schools. Um, and it all came from the top. Now it's all on everyone's phones. Also, I want to know how much of the Me Too culture was uh, born out of the modeling industry. We know it was prevalent. uh, It was happening in the acting world, and she has been in many uh, motion pictures and and TV shows, but uh, uh, was there a casting couch in uh, in modeling the way there was in Hollywood? Here's a spoiler alert, uh, Bill. The Me Too stuff was in every single industry ever. (laughs) I'd go ahead and say we're living in a like a, a post magazine world right now. Oh sure, and a lot right. of supermodels were built through magazines. Good I'd point. be I'd be very curious to know Carol's opinion on magazines and and what the future is without those guiding forces. Yeah. I know you mentioned monoculture. You used to get these these pieces of paper mailed to your house with these high <laughs> resolution photos on them, and they would sit there for a month in your house, especially the cover. And Carol's been on a lot of covers, but that cover sat on your coffee table for a month and just boring its way into your consciousness. Now, if we see an image twice, it's a huge anomaly. In stark contrast to the magazine lifestyle, I mean, I'm sure Carol graced the runways. She must have been out there walking in shows. And that was a flash in a pan. That was an immediate experience and then that very few had access to. Well, there are no more seven or eight or 900 page editions of Women's Wear Daily or W or any of that. Uh, they're now all brochures if they're still publishing. So the, the, the shift of what was important in terms of media, you know, 10 or 15 years ago versus today is dramatically different. And uh, what is her take on where it's going from here? For my part, I feel like Carol and a lot of these supermodels from this era are true American classics. They're classics of American style um, and their their triumphs. And that's why they've endured. And that's why I think a lot of these new influencers will not necessarily endure. You won't have someone stick around in the same way these classic designs of American 
created things, things like Accutron, things like, you know, Hugo Boss or things like these other, these brands that have endured, there's a reason. I think, I also think she's single and Scott, I do not want you asking for her number. <laughs> I'll try to restrain myself. Uh, all of that when we come back on the Accutron show. The world runs on Accutron time. Accutron watches since 1960 from New York City to around the world. All right, boys, behave yourselves. We've got a lady here. This is Carol Alton, in the words of the great Bob Hope. Uh, she is a supermodel who uses her supermodel powers for good, and we're going to talk a lot about that. Uh, welcome, Carol. Welcome to the Accutron Show. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for inviting me. Hello, guys. Great to We've have you. We've got a nice team here. <laughs> yes. Well, well, we'll change your opinion of As us I in can no see time. through my plastic bubble. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, it's like being at a salad bar wherever you go now. There's like a protective shield over everything, and uh, we're no exception. So, I always try to get to the salad bar first these days. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> be after the guy who sneezed or coughed on it, you know? <laughs> Uh, by the way, if uh, if you're with Carol for any reason and have to cook her breakfast the next day, you can't cook. She's completely raw. I'm so right. easy. Just hand me the egg in the eggshell. It's how fine. long? You can how prepare you, food, right? But how you long can't have cook you it. been eating just raw food? Since 1996. Oh wow. Oh, my God. oh wow. Okay. No, you know. All right. Let me let me put the myths to bed. You know, I, I'm going to steal the Victoria's Secret slogan. I'm no angel. She because said to bed. <laughs> Okay, go bed. ahead. Bill, <laughs> okay, I just have a conversation right. with someone who keeps like wandering off I'm into sorry. those <laughs> nefarious <laughs> places. I apologize. That's okay. That's okay. Hey, listen, if I didn't have that effect on you, I wouldn't be doing my job. <laughs> um, I was just saying that, you know, many people think I eat raw all the time. I don't. There are moments, hockey games especially, when I'm eating popcorn. So if you do see me out and I am eating popcorn, I've already popped my enzymes. <laughs> no, uh, no raw shaming on Carolina. No raw shaming because you know I, I always tell people you know you got to live too. Yeah, and you got to shock the system to make sure it just doesn't depend on raw food, which is so much easier to digest. Sure, and, you know you look amazing. I mean, there's no doubt that this is uh, it works. This it, yeah, and and so that's what you attribute it to. I mean, Absolutely. I'm sure you exercise. I'm sure you have a routine. Yeah, but that you know that stuff is different, and you know, lots of people exercise and and they just don't you know they still get sick and they still start aging really rapidly. And you know, I think it really anti ages you. I have to say, and I've had a friend, a doctor friend, who had gray hair and actually turned his hair back to brown because he was nutritioning himself so well with the things that he needed. I mean, he could tweak it because he was a doctor, but it was amazing to me that I met him, he was gray, and then his hair was getting more and more, more brown. I do that every six weeks too, but <laughs> yeah, it has nothing yeah, to that's do a with different the, thing. It has nothing to do with diet. It's all the pizza, Bill. Yeah. No. Uh, I'd actually love to talk to you about Instagram. On on your way in, you stopped and took a video of all of us in here, and I, we're all we're out of the age of the supermodel, and we're well into the age of the influencer. And you've made that transition. You're doing it. Can you talk to me a little bit about that and what social media means to you now? Oh man, that's a long conversation. <laughs> 
You know, last year I had 200,000 followers and I was really proud of myself because they were 200,000 followers that I really, really worked hard to get. I answer everybody who writes to me at Model Carol Alt. I answer all my DMs. I try to put up interesting things of, you know, videos of what I'm doing and where I've been and funny stuff and sexy stuff and a good mix. And then I got wiped out 100,000 followers last year and I don't know why. And I'm I'm really upset over it because the growth of trying to bring that back has only been 1,000 or 2,000 people in the last year. And I don't understand what that is. And when Instagram is something that your livelihood now depends on. Bill, when I walked in, said to me, well, isn't that amazing that you were one block away in a studio working? I was like, working? I mean, it's I am working all the time to shoot videos, but this is what I used to do for a living. Yes. This is how I made my fortune, if you will. And now I'm going into studios shooting all this stuff for free to put it on Instagram and having to use props and things that are around so people are getting promotion for things that used to be my manager would say, oh, make sure that's not in the background. Or, you know, if it's on a movie... Like in the eighties, well, in the eighties, right. they used to like pay us to smoke in movies. They would pay you to drink, yes. you know, Coca Cola in a movie right. or this water. They would pay you, and now it's like you know, I'm I'm in little videos on Instagram because all these influencers are doing this, you know, for free and then getting sponsored afterwards. And it's it's so difficult to change of mind. I even I was shooting with my photographer one block away and we were shooting a little 4th of July video and we were shooting what I do on Tuesdays is my Shoes Day Tuesday videos. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's a big, big change for someone like me who came up in the modeling industry where I was out in four years. Well, I made myself out in four years because my father said, by the time you're 25, it's over. So at 23, I was already, you know, doing movies and working with Bob Fosse in theater and and well on my way to a, a completely other career. But um, because basically they wanted new faces, new faces, new faces. Right. And now... Thank God they want the old faces because, hey, I'm hitting 60 soon. You Carol know? Alt will never be 60. <laughs> you know, it's it's just a very different – it's completely 180-degree turn. Exactly. How were you discovered and how could that happen again today for someone? I don't think it could really. I was waitressing. A photographer was headed out to the Hamptons. He came off the exit and my little steer barn was there. It was kind of a place that you did beer, wine, sangria. If you ordered the steak and you got the vegetable and the salad bar for free. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Sizzler. Uh, yeah, Beef steak but, Charlie's but it was, or one of those. It like... was the Scotto Brothers. Oh, really? Yes. Okay. Oh, funny. So I'll never forget because I, I worked with them right through the summer. I was working modeling during the day, making it home at night to work as a waitress in the Scotto Brothers. Um, oh wait! So, but first, the photographer came and he he walked into this into our restaurant and said, "You should model." And I was like, "You're kidding, right? Like, get like this is a Friday night." You're 17 now, or I 18, was, or I had just turned 18, oh. and I was allowed to waitress for the first time. So I was so proud of myself. I had a waitressing job because you had to be 18 to waitress, and I was tired of not getting any tips being the hostess. And well, that you know, was a hell of a tip that day. <laughs> that was a hell of a tip. But you know what? I said no, and I put the put it in his, my pocket, in my apron, whatever it was, the numbers he gave me. And I said, you know, thank you, sit down, I'll, I'll wait on you. And then my boyfriend, who was up at West Point, broke up with me. And I said, I'll be damned if I'm going to be the little girl that he left behind on Long Island. 
I went to the city. I called the numbers that he gave me, which was, by the way, not the photographer's number. That's the big mistake a lot of girls make. A photographer says, oh, I can make you a star. He gives them a number. They go to a studio and they get into a lot of trouble. No, this guy, Burt Rockfield, I'll never forget him. He gave me his number, the number of Ford and Elite and whatnot. And I called all the different agencies. And the way I settled on Elite was, oddly enough, my father was reading all the contracts for all the modeling agencies. And they all said I had to give 20% of whatever I earned. They didn't say whatever I earned modeling. They said whatever I earned. My father said, well, if you don't even get a job with them, you have to give them 20% of your waitress fees. Oh <laughs> so elite, Not the tips. <laughs> not the tips. Which, by the way, was like $75 the whole week, right? <laughs> I made $200 my first day of modeling. It was like, okay, this is like way better. <laughs> I was so excited to get a, mod- a, a waitressing job. Like modeling is way better. You know, uh, I, I was waiting for a military scholarship. I was in Army ROTC. And... Um, Basically, I worked during the summer. I was going to my day job, which was modeling, my night job, which was waitressing. And after I was on the cover of Vogue, the Scotto brothers came to me and they said, we think you should give up your night job. (laughs) (laughs) Your day job is like way too lucrative. And I was afraid to give it up because, you know, modeling isn't anything you can really hang your hat on. I mean, one minute you're hot, the next minute you're not. And um, I said to John, I said, you know, John Casablancas of Elite, I said, you know, this is just a summer job for me. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I'm waiting for a military scholarship through Army ROTC. And in fact, I got the scholarship and John came to me and said, listen, he said, if I can't buy you, no, he said, if you can't buy a university by the time I'm done with you, (laughs) your own (laughs) university by the time, I will pay for your college education. And I thought, huh, running 10K with bricks on my back or carrying my makeup bag to the studio. <laughs> well, let's see which choice. is the tougher choice, you know. But I'll never forget, and I'm, before you ask me your next question, I'll never forget coming home one day, and I had been working really hard. I mean, I was, as I said, I was working during the day as a model, and at night I was waitressing, unless I had a modeling job at night, and then I was working modeling at night. And uh, I, I came into the house one day, and my father was as white as a sheet. And he's he was like, like looking at me and like hi and I'm like, what like what's the matter, Daddy? And he's like, um, and you know you start getting those like goosebumps because you think somebody died. Like his face was like, I just remember looking at him and he's like, um, he's like, uh, you got a letter, and I'm like, from who? And he's like, from your agency. And I'm like, oh my God, they fired me. Did they fire me? Tell me they didn't fire. I'm not working hard enough. They don't want, like, tell me, uh, like, what what happened? He goes, he goes, he goes, no. He said, I'm sorry. I, I opened it, and it was a check. And I was like. <laughs> I knew it. A check? Well, why do you look like that? He goes, this is more than a rookie fireman makes in a year. Uh, and he uh. looked at me, and he said, you know. Your sister Christine is so much better looking than you. <laughs> oh do, you think, <laughs> do you think you could take her into the city? Because, like, if you're doing this good, can you imagine what she could do? And I was oh, like, wow. oh, absolutely. She'd probably do better than me because she was blonde. And that was, you know, a brown haired girl and it was never on the cover of anything, really. Right. Let's talk about the transition from models being unknown and nameless to Carol Alt with her own posters and calendar. And what was the turning point where 
the country wanted to know your name, and it became uh, well-known. I don't know the turning point for the country, Bill. I remember the turning point for me. I was working out in Vermont. I had a little condo with my boyfriend up there, and I was working out on a snowy, snowy day. And um, I'd finished working out, and I had three hoods up and gloves and scarf, and I was walking out of the gym, and basically this guy stopped me and said, hey, are you Carol Alt? And I'm like looking at him thinking, did I go to high school with this guy? Did I go to college with him? (laughs) I mean, I I suffer from FRD, which is facial recognition disability, so I have a hard time recognizing people if I don't see them in the situation where I'm comfortable seeing them. So I'm like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I'm I'm sure I know this person. And I'm looking at him, and I'm going – I'm so sorry. Do I, do I know you? He goes, no, why would you know me? <laughs> and I'm like, well, why do you know me? He goes, aren't you on the cover of Sports Illustrated? <laughs> it was such a foreign idea that somebody could recognize me from a cover. I couldn't tell Kim Alexis, Kelly Emberg, and Nancy Donahue apart. They were just three blonde girls to me. you know. And I worked with them. I couldn't tell them apart on a, on a cover. It took me a really long time. But the fact that this guy saw one cover of me and like, he recognized me covered like this was a total shock. And how old are you then? Like 22, uh, maybe? 23? I, w- I wasn't. T- no, no, I wasn't even 22. Um, I was already married by 22. And I, this was before I even met my husband. So I, I must have been uh, must have been 20. And do you remember the first cover where your name was also on the cover instead of just well, that was Sports 10 ways to Sports dump a boy or Yeah, 10 exactly. <laughs> um, uh, that was, but you know what had happened um, before that, however, you know, the newspapers were calling. For some odd reason, it was very interesting at that time to the newspapers, uh, the Daily News and the local newspapers of New York, that I was a New York girl. Because a lot of the girls had come from Europe. There was very exotic girls like Vibica and, you know, all these Swedish girls right. and I, and English girls like Twiggy. And here I was, a girl literally whose father was a fireman in the South Bronx, New York right. City. And, you know, they, they started calling, can we follow you? I'm like, yeah. You know, it's so boring in the studio. Sure, you could follow me. Like, you know, how do you make this interesting? I don't know. But- that had already started, but the actual first cover. Now you got to remember, I had my first contract for cosmetics um, was Lancome. I wasn't. I was 18 years old. I was the youngest ever worldwide face of Lancome, but Lancome never used your name. Uh-huh. So Sports Illustrated was the first time I had my name on the cover. It was really at that point the only cover that put your name on it. And then when um, Lancome made the huge mistake of letting me go. <laughs> um, they, it was a huge mistake. They went from number one around the world to number two. Um, CoverGirl picked me up. So now I was CoverGirl Carol Alt. So I think that helped quite a bit right. as well. We were talking before you got here about the difference that happened in the 80s and 90s with the Kate Mosses and the wafy look. And wh- what happened there? I, you started when you were 18, but we, we were talking about in this day and age – I don't think that the days of making 12 and 13 year old girls look like they're 18, 19, 20 are long gone. That's never going to happen. You're kidding, right? You don't think so? Every 12 and 13 year old. Do you look on Instagram? All these girls look like they're 18, 19, 20 years old. But I mean, hired for a national brand. Yeah. What, when, when, when a Kate Moss came along in in that time, what did you, did you think modeling was going to change forever? 
You know, I always knew modeling went in and out of different fads. I remember at one point there was this thing with having women that had Roman noses. You know what Roman noses? So they were looking for women who had Roman noses, which was a unique look in itself. So they went from blondes to dark hair to Roman noses. So I always knew that there were fads. I remember my agent saying, you have to cut your hair off. I'm like, why? They're like, because everybody's wearing short hair now. I'm like, they always need that one long-haired girl. <laughs> and that's going to be me, you know. But um, there, there, there was something very weird. You know, I shot for Calvin Klein right after I shot Sports Illustrated. I shot a commercial, and I was doing – 29 trips in four months. I'm talking one day to Johannesburg, back to London, back to New York, out to LA, back down to Florida, back to London, back to Paris, shooting for Lancome. I was all over the world, all over the map. And I went down to 115 pounds, which is uh, at 5'11", is very, very thin. But I was still on the cover of Sports Illustrated. But in any case... I was shooting the, with um, Calvin Klein out in Los Angeles, and I was supposed to be the sporty girl, so I'm running in all the sports clothes. And the word comes down, they cut me from the commercial because I was too thin. So you can imagine how annoyed I was when Kate Moss comes along and like, oh, we like the thin <laughs> waif look, right. the heroin chic. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm always ahead of my time. Always. Uh, we would be remiss on the Accutron show not to ask about because time is so important to you and you've traveled all and you need to know what time it is. Do you remember the first watch you ever got as a as a kid? And, and a Mickey Mouse watch. You? Was it? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have it. It would be worth a lot of money right now. That sucker would be like 100 years old. <laughs> um, yeah, I it was a Mickey Mouse watch. And Accutron was launched in the 1960s. And I guess from your perspective, what was the biggest change you weren't modeling in the 60s but what do you think was the biggest change in your career or the careers of models from the 60s to today you know the the 60s i i think they were um again lots of blondes lots of carefree i i think that the girls became somewhat well known like the twiggies and the susie blakeleys and all of that you know the sunny griffins there was always there always seemed to be the name girls of every generation Every generation had the name girls. And there was, the, you know, Cheryl and there was um, Lauren Hutton and then you'd get Beverly Johnson and, you, you know, all throughout. So, you know, then you'd come to, to me and there was, you know, Kim Alexis and Carol Alt and Paulina and Elle and Rachel Hunter. And, you know, every generation had two or three girls that were the top two or three people of the day. But they were always models, I know in the 60s, you know, to be Twiggy was short. She wasn't five foot 11. Right. She was five foot, maybe five foot six, five foot seven. That was for her generation, the high end. And for my generation, by the time I, I, when I by the time I actually, you know, I didn't never quit modeling. I never retired. I just moved on into movies. But, but you know, when I was shooting with other girls, I was with Reno Hunter. No, sorry. Hunter Reno. And, um, Hunter uh, was six foot one. I had to stand on. I had to stand on books next to her to be the same height. So I know the next generation after me started getting taller and taller. So I think it was little things like that. But then you move into two thousand, and I think really the last big names of modeling are the Kate Moss, the Giselles. Um, you know, um, a, a lot of the girls who did the uh, Victoria's Secret stuff, and right. then. 
it kind of gets a bit obscured. There's less and less girls that are known for modeling. And sure, our generation, there's nobody you could name now at all because they're influencers only. Yep. But if you ask the younger generation, they know who all the top influencers are. They're on, they're 24-7 on. What about a casting couch? Was there anything in the, we know it ha- it existed in motion pictures. Was there such a thing in, in modeling too? And because you work with a lot, would you come home and then, would your dad go, any of these guys making a pass at you? <laughs> you know, I was always kind of smart in the sense that when I the agency would send you on an early morning, you have to go to this hotel and meet a producer, I would always bring a girlfriend with me or my boyfriend at the time or something. There was always somebody standing outside the door when I did my, my audition. Funny enough, I auditioned for Steven Spielberg in a hotel room, but he had people with him. So I knew it was Steven Spielberg. He wasn't going to try anything. But, you know, yeah, you know, you, you, there, there are legitimate people and there are not legitimate people. And you, you always have to protect yourself. And it doesn't behoove you to protect yourself and not tell them that you're protected. Like, you got to kind of let them know, oh, my friend is outside. Is it okay? If, if Can he come in or should he just, like, wait? You know, just innocently that do it. That big, burly hockey player yeah, is exactly. with me. That's, yes. Yeah. <laughs> But, you know, you do it innocently and sweet enough that it doesn't threaten me. I didn't come in and say, hey, I got somebody outside right. in case you try Don't anything you funny. Try anything. <laughs> right. Right. No. So you never felt uncomfortable. It was I, never- I never really felt uncomfortable. I've lost jobs because I, I, they knew I wasn't that type. I think sometimes you get, you get back what you put out. And I remember I was hired for an Aaron Spelling show and I was packing to get on the plane. And my manager called me and said, do you know this this guy? And I was like, It wasn't yes. Aaron Spelling? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it was, God. It, it was a, a casting person. Uh-huh. And uh, just a casting person. And I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, that's my friend. And you know, did, did he get me the job? And I was, no, he just took it away from you. Uh-huh. And I know why he took it away from me because when I went out to L.A., Subsequently, he cried on my shoulder that the girl that he hired for that, that he was hoping to have a relationship with, broke up with him. And I was like, seriously, you're crying on my shoulder? You took that job away from me and bought her the outfit to boot? Like, hello? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, sometimes the tables are actually turned. She got the job, she got the outfit, and she dumped the guy. Right. I don't know. Someone made out like a bandit. Yeah, you know, it's it's a very, very touchy. I don't mean to make light of it at all. I, I really don't because a woman being attacked, I mean, seriously being attacked, not someone who goes in, they want a job and, you know, if I give you this, will you give me that kind of thing? There's all kinds of people. But, you know, somebody seriously being attacked is nothing to laugh at. I would... I don't know what I would do if if that happened to me. I really don't. And I marvel at the strength of some of these women who pick themselves up and go on. And I... I, I and, are, and have a voice. And have and a voice. And that we're hearing from now this many years later. Uh, and, and it's a movement that's obviously gained a tremendous amount a of A tremendous support. amount. I just find every single movement has gray areas too. You know, there's the black area, there's the white area, and then there's the gray area. And, you know, we all live within one of these areas. So a lot, there's a lot of gray. There's a lot of gray. There's a lot of gray in the world. But I've there always... were a lot of there were a lot of not nice. But every people. so often you do hit a 
yeah, an area where you're like, this is black and white, right and wrong. Yes. Like, yes. I need to get out of here. Exactly. Yeah. You, you just, I mean, I had been stopped on the street many times by people, you know, you're, you're young. I mean, I was 18. Well, I'm sure walking. working as a waitress probably toughened you up. I wasn't there that long. Okay. I was there a, cu- a couple of months when, when finally a waitressing job opened up and they gave it to me because I had turned 18. Um, but, you know, the thing was I remember walking on the streets and people come to me and say, oh, my God, you know, you look like a model. And you're like, huh? Really? <laughs> <laughs> I look like a model? Really? Yes, you're so beautiful. Listen, I'm shooting. Do you see the Harlequin covers to books, you know, with all the – Beautiful women on. I shoot those, and I would really love you to come with me right now to my studio. And, you know, the best advice my agency ever gave me was, unless it comes through us, have them call us. Because if they're legit, they'll call. You won't lose the job. But if they're not legitimate, they won't call, and you just saved yourself. I wanted to ask you a little bit about uh, where you think the next great supermodels are coming from. I don't know if there's going to be. Um, I, 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 I think, first of all, the look of beauty has so drastically changed from blonde to Kardashians. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and um, at every shade in between. And it's spectacular that it has because at one point modeling was very exclusive it didn't include a lot of women of color. <laughs> Me with brown hair. Can you imagine? I mean, the, yeah, it does so, seem like it's gone from top down to kind of a bottom up. But like, you know, there's a there's a wide range of well, acceptable I, I, beauty. I just think that, you know, I said this to my friend the other day. I said, is it me or is every girl just like so much more beautiful as we're going along like they're just so beautiful and they know at a younger age how to put themselves together and I don't think they look up to women the way that they looked up to our generation of women who are models they don't look up to a photo and say oh I want to be like that they're like looking at Instagram and they know they know people more intimately through Instagram because it's a very, I mean, I find Instagram a very personal. Like you're you're putting your life out there and your videos out there, and this is who you are, and this is what you think is funny, and this is what you think is sexy, and this is what you think There's is much more personality. New and exciting. Yeah. And I think that you know, model was just like an image. Do oh, you think magazines been. have value anymore? Oh certainly not what they used to, for sure. I mean, it, even even Let's face it, even fashion shows. By the right. time my friend Zhang Toy has his fashion show up, there's 12 bloggers in the front row who have photoed it, and then 12 Zaras in the back row who are using the bloggers' videos to copy it Indeed. and get it into the stores first for the designer the <laughs> following week. Yeah. The following week. That's how Zara made so much money. They were able to get things in the store before the designers yes. did. So here you have this designer working, 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 racking his brain, going on this creative jaunt to look at architecture, to think of things to make his clothing out of and how he wants to construct a suit. And then there's this show that happens, which costs him hundreds of thousands of dollars. And the, you know, the blogger in the front row saying, oh, this is a beautiful show. And then the, the guys, the H&M and the Zara, the bank, you know, <laughs> I don't, don't know, really whoever. Need, we don't really need magazines. 
as much as we did. I think the magazine used to bring us information. I think it used to bring us clothing from Paris. I think it used to bring us all these things that we didn't have access to before. And now we have access to it. Yes. I mean, for nostalgic reasons, of course, you know, it's nice to feel a magazine and lick your finger and flip through on a lazy day. But people are doing that in their phones. Every magazine I know now is online. What's coming up for you? What's what's next? Are we are we still making motion pictures? Yeah, I just shot a movie um, last week with Eric Roberts called My Last Best Friend. You shot it during the, the yes. quarantine. We're allowed to as long as the the crew is in, in masks. Yeah, and we social distance. Where was that shot? It was shot here in the village. Okay. On but location, on the streets? In a building. Inside. In no building. love scenes. No, 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 no. No love scenes. And in fact, I didn't even work with Eric Robert in the same room. Oh. So, right. That's what I'm wondering. Like, did they shoot all these scenes? That may have with been a guys? blessing. <laughs> uh, I did a movie with Eric Roberts in 1989. It was called Vendetta. And then we did Vendetta 2 with Michael Onkeen. It was Eric Roberts, Eli Wallach, Burt Young, Nick Mancuso. Wow. And then the second one was Eli Wallach, Burt Young, um, Michael Onkeen. And, of course, I was the female lead. It was called Woman of Honor in Europe, but it was called Vendetta here. And I was <laughs> I was the woman of honor. <laughs> so he was in my movie. Yeah. So I had worked with him before. So when I showed up on the set, he was like, oh, my God, Carol. You know, it was, Who's it was difficult? Name names. Who who you worked with? You would never work with again. Nobody, because okay. you can't be that picky about jobs, baby. You got you know you get a job, including you will, this podcast. Take the word. I mean, back. I sucked it up to come here. <laughs> Before we let you go, uh, you've got a lot of television projects currently. One is in your home. You have a living room oh, show. Yes, the, yes. Called Carol Alt's living room. Carol, they were up all night naming on that one. And, FNL. Uh, <laughs> well, but you know, it's it, it's comfortable because it actually is shot in my living room. Unfortunately, in my living room chairs, which, you know, when you have legs that are 36 inches long and chairs that are only 14 inches high. Yeah, I've seen promo shots from this show, and it's basically long guests legs. staring at your long legs. It's long They're right legs. there. Yeah. They're, you're talking to their – basically, your legs are interviewing them. Exactly. Uh, and then uh, – and you do have done a thing – you mentioned Fox a moment ago. You were, you've done a, a health and beauty show for them. Yeah, it wasn't – I don't think it was the right place for it, but Roger Ailes gave me an opportunity, and no, there was no cast couch with Roger. Um, but you know, he, he gave me an opportunity and I ran with it. So yeah, we did the only, uh, you know, health show that, but I have to say, you know, what came out of that health show is nearly watch it. Now, every news show, every morning show, everybody has a health thing. Health segment. A segment, health segment. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I was looking for that word. <laughs> health segment that they didn't have seven years ago. Right. When I was doing the show. And I didn't do conventional stuff. I mean, come on. I was talking about coffee enemas. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had people who were blushing and behind the camera the whole time. We're blushing now. You are blushing now. Uh, and I'm getting a coffee enema. <laughs> I'm just going to get some coffee. We could talk to Carol Alt uh, for hours and hours and hours. We've kept you too long. I really appreciate you joining us. And uh, please come back anytime on the Accutron Thank show. you, guys. I really enjoyed talking with you, you, too. Besides, where else could I could talk like this with uninterrupted? <laughs> <laughs> uninterrupted. Anytime. Thank you. On behalf of Cool Hunting's David Graver and Bon Vivant Scott Alexander, I'm Bill McCuddy for the Accutron Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Accutron Show. To hear all our shows, visit AccutronWatch.com. For upcoming guests as well as behind-the-scenes action, follow us on Instagram at AccutronWatch. From the 29th floor of the Empire State Building, until next time, Accutron time. Set your tuning forks. <laughs>